0: If you will, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10 will occupy us tonight. As we come to the end of Proverbs 10, let's reread the chapter so that we might reorient ourselves. To what has gone before. Proverbs chapter 10. Reading from the New American Standard Bible The Proverbs of Solomon A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined." The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. The rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked, punishment. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding." What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness. But the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows from wisdom, with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Having covered verses 1 to 18 already, we come now to verses 19 to 32 of this great chapter. And if you've noticed, even as we read tonight, King Solomon brings us to the place of the need to discern several W's about our lives, from verses 19 to 32. W's. For instance, a man's words, verses 19 to 21. A man's ways, verses 22 to 25. A man's worthlessness, verse 26. A man's ways, verses 27 to 30. And a man's words, again, in verses 31 to 32. And if you noticed the way I just outlined this passage, there are some similar outline points. For instance, the first and the last, a man's words. And the next to last and the second, a man's ways, with one difference in the middle. You say, why is that so? Well, because this is a chiastic structure in Hebrew parallelism, or chiastic if you prefer. We can see this structure if you put in your notes A, B, C, B, A. In other words, if you have an A and a B, and then you have a corresponding B and an A, it would look a lot like a cross And in fact, that's exactly what it's designed to look like. It's a cross, because that's the Greek letter, of course, of ki or chi. And it's designed to look that way because there is poetry here that's designed to show us some parallelism. In fact, that first outline point we could really call, instead of a man's words, the tongue of the righteous. Verses 19 to 21. And in fact, that A is chiastically tied to the last two verses of this chapter in verses 31 to 32. That's also an A. The tongue of the righteous, the tongue of the righteous. You have a parallelism there. You have the first two verses of this section and the last two verses of this section, and they're both talking about the tongue. And that's why you could put them in the category of A and A. And then indented, you could have two letters with B. The wealth and security of the righteous in verses 22 to 25. And the way and security of the righteous in verses 27 to 30. Those are also parallel. And you can design those with a letter B. A, B, B, A. And then one particular verse that stands all by itself, right in the middle, you can designate with the letter C, verse 26, the laziness of the wicked. And if you were to see this on a board or a graph, you could see this chiastic structure A, B, C, that verse all by itself, and then back to B and then A. Very, very chiastically structured so that there's a beautiful poetic design to this passage of Scripture. And I guess you probably thought that it was just a set of random verses, now didn't you? Well, it isn't. It's an opportunity for us to see that there is a beautiful design that Solomon wants his son and therefore ourselves and our children to know about a life of righteousness before God. And he wants us to know by design that a man's words are very important. And in order for him to emphasize the importance of a man's words, he's going to talk about it at the beginning of the section of this paragraph, and then he's going to return to it at the end of this paragraph. Very important. He wants to emphasize that point. And then in the middle of this paragraph, he wants to emphasize the wealth and the security of the righteous man and its contrastative nature to the wicked. And because he wants to emphasize that again, he's going to talk about the righteous and security nature of the believer again in the back part of this passage with only one verse in between, verse 26, standing off by itself to talk about the lazy man. It's very, very beautiful Hebrew parallelism. So let's dig into God's Word regarding these so-called W's. I took it out of this chiastic structure in terms of these W's to make it easier for us to memorize these things. The words of a man, the ways of a man, the worthlessness of a man, the ways of a man again, and the words of a man. Obviously, it should be very, very easy for us to learn. We're going to talk about the first two of them tonight. And then two weeks from now, Lord willing, we'll talk about the others. Let's talk, first of all, tonight, from verses 19 to 21, about a man's words. A man's words. Listen to this wonderful set of two verses in verses 19 to 21. <clears throat> Three verses. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. The first lesson that Solomon wants the truly righteous person to know is the sheer volume in verse 19 of words which one speaks, and how that can put a man into sinful trouble. Do you see it there in verse 19? When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Notice he says that with many words a person may speak. But if he does speak loquaciously, transgression is unavoidable. He's calling, in other words, for language restraint here. Language restraint. He who restrains his lips is wise. Isn't it interesting that Solomon doesn't say that it is the kind of words which makes the wise man wise, although he does say that in other places? Here, it's emphasizing the amount of words, the frequency of words, the loquaciousness of someone. It's often what you don't say that makes the difference between wise and foolish speaking. Sometimes it's just wiser to keep our mouths closed. And regarding this particular proverb, one of the commentators, Paul Koptak, writes about our many words when he says this, Words are like sheep. The more there are, the better the chances that some will go astray. Right? It's just inevitable... That with the sheer frequency of words, some of those words are going to be inappropriate and sinful and will transgress. Indeed, listen to Proverbs 29:20. 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Hasty words. There's a balance, of course, in our speaking. When to speak, when to keep silent. And boy, is that sometimes ever a tough balance to maintain. I'm the champion of trying to maintain that balance. At least I try to be. But don't miss also Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I like that. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Or Proverbs 11:12, which says, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. It's so difficult when you speak a lot, not to avoid inevitable transgression. So very difficult. Turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and listen to Koeleth, the wise sage. Maybe another name for Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 12. "'Words from the mouth,' Ecclesiastes 10:12. "'Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, "'while the lips of a fool consume him. "'The beginning of his talking is folly, "'and the end of it is wicked madness. "'Yet the fool multiplies words.' No man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. You see that there in chapter 10, verses, verse 14a? The fool multiplies words. The fool multiplies words. A foolish person, a person who isn't wise, is the person who can't keep their mouth closed in very critical situations. If you want a New Testament passage, you can write down 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, which says about some in whom Paul had to deal, and Timothy, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention." Gossips and busybodies. We learned this morning, didn't we, about gossips, tale bearers, people who are constantly talking. The old Puritan Charles Bridges writes We love to hear ourselves talk and present our own judgment intrusively. The fool talks forever upon nothing, not because he is full, but because he is empty. Not for instruction, but for the pure love of talking. Have you ever met somebody like that? They just love to talk because their ears love to hear their mouth. They just love it. They just love their own voice. That's what he's talking about. What about your many words, dear friends? Job said to his would-be counselors this, Oh, that you would be completely silent and that it would become your wisdom. Boy, you would just be wise if you clammed up. You'd be considered so. James tells us in context to be quick to hear, quick to hear the Word of God and slow to speak. All of us deserve that lesson and the champion of trying not to be so loquacious, myself, Should learn that lesson, chief of all. Do you remember in Exodus 4 when Moses continued to tell the Lord that he couldn't speak to Pharaoh and the Lord kept commanding him to do it? Well, he apparently got pretty good at speaking because when he was supposed to speak to the rock in Numbers 20, verse 8, as in the earlier occasion of Exodus 17 when he struck it, instead of striking it, he Instead of speaking to it, he struck it, and he struck it twice. Do you remember that? So for a guy who didn't want to speak, he spoke, and he spoke inappropriately. In fact, we have a divine commentary on it in Psalm 106, verses 32 to 33. Listen to it. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, that is God, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He, Moses, spoke rashly with his lips. You say, why do you bring that up? What was the consequence for Moses speaking rashly and doing what he did at that point? Wasn't able to enter the promised land, was he? Apparently, in God's mind, speaking rashly, speaking with words that unavoidably bring transgression means a great deal and can bring Huge consequences. You and I should rather pray this prayer of the psalmist. Psalm 141.3 Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Boy, what a great verse. What a great prayer. Oh Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Is that what you're praying for? Do you ask the Lord to set a guard over your mouth? Do you watch over the door of your lips? This is absolutely critical in the Christian life. Do you realize how much less sin there would be in the body of Christ if people would watch over the door of their lips. How much less pain and agony within the body there would be if people just tried to emphasize the guarding of their words toward other believers. It would be massive. The frequency of words may be causing you to sin against the Lord and His people and it may be even otherwise affecting your witness at work, or school, or home. Think about Proverbs 10:19, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. There's a second dimension to a man's words found here in verse 20 of Proverbs 10. Look at it with me. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. What's Solomon saying? Well, if verse 19 is emphasizing the scarcity of our words, or should be, then verse 20 is speaking of the choice of them. Notice that this is choice silver, which may imply that the righteous man's words have been tried in a furnace and have come out as refined silver. Boy, that would be great. The few words that you have, according to the instruction of verse 19, Solomon teaching his son, have been tested. The few words that you have, they've been tested and they've been approved. And the few words that you have, they're now pure words. Choice words. Choice as silver. Silver. You remember what was said about the Lord's words, Psalm 12, 6? The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined, how many times? Seven times. Well, those are the Lord's words. And they may not be and, of course, certainly won't be our words. But maybe that's the standard to which we ought to attain. We ought to strive. We ought to do everything our dead-level best, we would say, to have the kinds of words that would even approach the purity of the Lord's words refined in a furnace on the earth seven times. Now, no human being can have their words tried seven times in the furnace like the Lord, but that's at least the standard. That's what we ought to be doing. You want your words to be as pure as possible. This is a great proverb, by the way, for biblical counselors. Great proverb who want to give hurting people solid scriptural advice. You want your words to be refined in the fires of sifting and testing through scriptural investigation and examination. And then to be able to speak the Word of God to others. You want your words to be like Psalm 119, verse 24. This is a great verse for biblical counselors. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. You want to be the most effective biblical counselor you can be? Then use the Word of God. Because it says there, That they, the word of God, the very pure, refined word of the living God, they are my counselors. You don't want your words to be compared to the heart, and therefore the words out of which the heart speaks of the wicked, which Solomon says is worth how much? Little. He says it's worth little. The heart of the wicked, and therefore the words out of which that heart speaks, is worth Little, according to verse 20. We might even say, based on the analogy that he uses here of choice silver, that the words of the wicked have impurities within them. They've been tested, and what you find in their words are all kinds of impurities. Verse 21 goes even further regarding our wise use of words. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of understanding. Oh, don't you want to be characterized as one who feeds many with your righteous lips? Boy, what a great verse. I cherish this verse. What an opportunity before us. There are so many people for whom we could speak from the lips of wisdom and minister grace to them. Eliphaz said of Job, this was... His recollection of his relationship with Job. One of his counselors. Your words have admonished many. Job 4 verses 3 and 4. Your words have admonished many. And you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand. And you have strengthened feeble knees. Boy, what a commendation. Could it be said of us that we have helped the tottering stand by our words and we've strengthened feeble knees. Wouldn't that be a wonderful commendation to your words and to mine, to those around us who desperately need it? Boy, the wicked has this little value of their words and their heart. They have impurities in them. And according to the latter part of verse 21, they're going to die For a lack of understanding. That's the opposite. That's the contrast. Their their tongue isn't righteous as choice silver. And their lips aren't righteous. And therefore they don't feed many. They're fools. And because they don't drink in the very wisdom of the word of God. They're going to die for lack of understanding. Proverbs 5.23 says the wicked will die for lack of instruction and the greatness of his folly will go astray. Or well, you can see in that idea this arid, dry desert where a foolish man doesn't want the very water that is available to him and he just dries up and blows away. Look at. Verse 10 of this very chapter. He who winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will be ruined. They're going to die. They're going to be ruined. Look at verse 17. He who ignores reproof goes astray. This is the, the fate of the wicked, folks. This is their end. Why? Because they're not tasting of the sweet word of God. In chapter 3, verse 14, this is wisdom's prophet. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire, nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Not for the wicked. Not for the unrighteous. Here's the way you can apply it to your life. You say, well, I'm not that wicked person. That's not the characteristic aspect of of my life. Well, that's good. But how much can that be sometimes a part of our lives. Don't allow your words to become evangelistic or sanctification poison. It's so easy for it to happen. Whether in our witnessing opportunities to others or whether even in the daily life of the church fellowship in our sanctification, don't allow your words to become Poison, like the poison of the wicked who die for lack of instruction. Be aware of your words. Be aware of their frequency. Be aware of their purity. And be aware of their ability to nourish others. That's exactly what his point is here in verses 19, 20, and 21. Be aware of their frequency. Many words, transgression is unavoidable. Be aware of Of their purity, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, and be aware of their ability to nourish others, the lips of the righteous feed many. That's a man's words, crucial for the Christian life. Secondly, and finally for tonight, how about a man's ways, a man's ways? That's contained for us in verses 22 to 25. Listen to it. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. We go from one W, that is a wise man's words, to another. Switching from the words of a wise man to the ways of a wise man. And this. Hebrew idea is definitely speaking of material wealth here in verse 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes materially rich. That's what Solomon is saying. It's only the, by the blessing of the Lord that a man has material riches. And this is the first way that a believer, a righteous man, can know that you are being blessed by the Lord. And that God is adding no sorrow to it. You say, well, I haven't seen that material blessing. Where is it? Bring it on. I need it. Bills are coming due. Well, remember, this is a proverb. This is a proverbial statement. This is simply saying that in general, in the main, by and large, God blesses His people with what they need. That's the point. God blesses His people with what they need. Like it it was said of King David. King David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed, what? Begging bread. God will bless those who follow Him. And He adds no sorrow to it. What does He mean by adding no sorrow to it? Well, Generally speaking, it may mean that you have no attendant sorrow like legal troubles. may mean that. Or it may mean that you have enough, maybe even an abundance of material goods like Abraham did, that you don't have people hounding you for money. Or maybe it's just talking about having no sorrow in the sense of having no financial woes yourself. Something like that. We don't know exactly. But we do know this, that the principle of this verse is that God will bless you with what you need and there will be joy and no sorrow besides. Divine blessing is upon those who labor with integrity. That's the point. And this needs to be contrasted even though in this particular verse, in verse 22, there is no contrast to it. Usually in these Proverbs you might see a contrast In the same verse, there is none here. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. There's no contrastative statement about the wicked. And it does need to be contrasted. Look at chapter 10, verse 2. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, whatever He's saying in verse 22 has to be qualified In the context, in this chapter, by verse 2, ill-gotten gains do not profit. Look at chapter 13, verse 11, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Chapter 15, verse 6, great wealth is in the house of the righteous. But trouble is in the income of the wicked. Chapter 16, verse 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. In other words, don't be involved with proud people even if you're about to divide the spoil. Something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. Probably even the pride of such people and you'll be left out. There'll be a fight. Something's going to happen. Something's brewing. Chapter 21, verse 6. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a what? Bleeding vapor, the pursuit of death. Don't try to acquire treasures by a lying tongue. Oh, what a great principle of God's Word. Don't, in your business practices, try to acquire, in your business, treasure, profit, by a lying tongue. God knows your heart. He knows what you're doing. And He knows... That even if you should have profit from such a deed, it's going to be fleeting and you'll ultimately be found out. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 6, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked though he be rich. Great proverb, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked though he be rich. And even verse 22 of that same chapter, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. And as I shared about gossips and busybodies from 1 Timothy, look also at 1 Timothy chapter 6 for a New Testament perspective on this idea of the trouble of riches. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, First Timothy 6, 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You're trying to go at the idea of riches in the wrong way. See that's why this particular proverb, Proverbs 10:22, has to be balanced. It's somebody who's working, laboring with integrity, and God is blessing the effort. Not somebody who's trying to get rich, because if they do that, if that's their goal, if that's their drive, if that's their determination, they're going to fall into temptation and a snare. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Why? For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, many pangs, many sorrows. No sorrow for the blessed who are blessed by God with material wealth. Sorrow for those who derive their riches by ill-gotten gain. Need I speak from a few Old Testament examples? Charles Bridges writes, Lot's covetous choice was fraught with bitterness. Ahab wore a crown and lay sick on his bed in discontent. Gehazi was laden with his bags, but the plague of leprosy was on him. Haman's mortification was the canker in his boasted glory. The rich young ruler's rejection of Christ was the source of present, must we not fear everlasting sorrow. The worldling's recompense for his daily toil is eating the bread of sorrows. So, Bridges says, mark the striking contrast, he giveth his beloved sleep. Happy portion of the children of God They know both how to be abased and they know how to abound. All things are theirs. Thy blessing is upon thy people. They work. They work diligently. And God rewards them because they're doing it with integrity. Are you experiencing the blessing of the Lord with regard to your finances? Are you experiencing sorrow? Maybe it's because it's due to poor handling of your money. The money the Lord's already given you. And the sorrow may be coming from an unwise use of it. Maybe He's withholding more from you because you're withholding from Him. Maybe you're not giving back to Him as you know you should. Maybe even in tonight's offering. Maybe this morning. You're hoarding your money when you should be giving of your first fruits and then paying your bills on time without misspending, misappropriating other funds. You see, only the Lord can bless the efforts that you're undertaking in the financial arena. And it's His power alone that makes riches. And if you're blessed with no sorrow Added to your integrity, it's no doubt because you're handling your money wisely and God is just blessing you even more and more and more and more. That's a wise way. That's the wise way. Here's another way, verse 23. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Oh, I love this because this is a sports analogy. I love this one. He contrasts two kinds of sport. The sport of fools and the sport of the understanding. And he says, for the, for the fool, doing wickedness is like a sport. But for the understanding, their sport is doing wisdom. Yes, ask somebody, what's, what's your hobby? What's your pastime? Uh, do you like sports? Yes, I love sports. What kind of sports do you like? I love doing wisdom. That's my sport. What? That's your sport? What do you mean? I love the Word of God. I love to read and study the Word of God. That's my sport. That's what he's saying. Look at it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is, implied, and so is the sport of pursuing wisdom to a man of understanding. That's his point. You see, you're all going to need to like sports after all. But, unfortunately, the sorrowing part of it is there's another sport out there. It's a sport of fools. And it's doing wickedness. You remember we discovered that in Romans 1 this morning, Romans 1.32. Although they, the depraved or the fool in the book of Proverbs, although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do doing wickedness like a sport, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They're out there doing wickedness, and when they see other people doing wickedness, they applaud. Oh, bravo! 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 Good job. That's what people do. And they do it in their homes by watching television that is inappropriate, stadiums, concerts, whatever it may be, watching inappropriate things being done and heartily approving and clapping for those who are doing it. That's exactly what he's saying right here. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. It's like a game. It's like an event. You remember when we studied 1 Peter 4? It says in verse 3, The Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. They malign you when you don't run with them into the same excesses of drunkenness. How come you're not coming with us to the party? Come on! We're going to have all kinds of fun! It's like a sport to a fool. Oh, but for the person who says, no, 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 that's not my sport. My sport is gaining wisdom. My sport is gaining wisdom. You don't have the time, nor do I, to turn there, but I will look at a few because this is Dr. Zimmick's favorite Bible chapter in all the world, and I couldn't talk about the idea of the sport of Bible study without him in mind. Psalm 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. That's my sport. I rejoice in the way of the testimonies of God as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. This is, this is the sport of true kings. I have inherited your testimonies, verse 111, forever, for they are the joy of my heart. You know, there are people who just become downright giddy At their pastime, at their hobby. This is what the psalmist says, verse 127. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Verse 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. It's my sport. Gaining wisdom. That's what an understanding person does. That's my sport. How are you doing in your hobby? Your should-be hobby. Not your would-be hobby, your should-be hobby. How are you doing in it? You're reading God's Word? Feasting upon it? Is it your hobby? Is it your pastime? Is it what you love to do? Is it your sport? There's a third way. Verse 24, the way of a wise man. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous... Will be granted. Oh, I about came out of my skin studying this one. You know, a lot of people ask me about Psalm 37.4. You know, that says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And people will say, is that true? Will God give me the desires of my heart if I delight myself in Him? Well, don't look at Psalm 37.4 if you're questioning that. Look at this. Look at verse 24. The desire of the righteous will be granted. You say, yeah, but didn't you say a moment ago that that was one of those proverbs? General statement, axiomatic, but nevertheless general, yes. And if your life is lining up underneath His sovereign will and purpose you can rest assured that He will absolutely grant you the desires of your heart. Why? Because if you're endeavoring to line up your will underneath His will, He is then all about fulfilling His will and purpose in us. Why? Because your will is His will. And He wants to grant His will in your life. And therefore, the desire of the righteous will be granted Take great courage, righteous saint, for God will grant you the desire of your heart. It says it. it. Says it right there. The desire of the righteous will be granted. If you're walking in the ways of God, if you're living out the reality of this chapter, and you're reading and studying the holy book and endeavoring to do what God wants you to do, the desire of your heart will be granted in line with the word and will of God, He's not going to hold back. He doesn't want to hold back from you. God's not saying, please find my will. It's out there. No, He He has expressed Himself. He wants to give you His will and purpose, but not so with the wicked. Look at what it says about them. What the wicked fears will come upon Him. Boy, does that contrast... With what it says about the righteous, the righteous has their desires granted, but so does the wicked. Their fears, oh, they'll come. It'll come upon them. Do you know what the Bible says in Psalm, in uh, excuse me, in Proverbs 29:25, "The fear of man brings a snare." Man fears man, and it brings a a snare. That's going to come upon him, a snare. And did you know that the Bible says in Hebrews 2.15 that Jesus Christ came so that He might free those who through fear of death was subject to slavery all their lives. You know that people fear death? Talk to them. There are people who fear death, absolutely. They fear man, and according to Hebrews 2.15, they fear death. And according to 1 John 4.18, it also says that fear involves punishment. Mankind without Christ fears man, they fear death, and they fear punishment. And tragically, Solomon now adds, what the wicked fears will come upon him. It's the way of the wicked. It's like the person who says, "I'm I'm not paranoid, I know they're after me. Well, in this case, it's it's absolutely true. The wicked fears, and it will come upon him. Tragic. And look at verse 25. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more. He's gone. All of his fears... The fear of man, the fear of death, the fear of punishment, and all the other fears that he has in his heart will come upon him like a whirlwind. And with all of the storms, and all of the wind, and all of the confusion, when it passes, you look for the wicked, and they're not there, they're gone. And the storm of God's judgment has blown over him. He is no more. Isaiah 66 says it this way. Verse 4. So I will choose their punishments and will bring on them what they dread. Because I called but no one answered. I spoke but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. Oh, but not the righteous. Look at what it says about them. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Glory, hallelujah. Psalm 34:4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, I had a fear. I had a fear of this, I had a fear of that. And I took it to the Lord and because I was righteous in His sight based upon the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ I took it to Him and the Lord delivered me out of all my fears. Why don't we close with this. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And you can see it maybe in as clear a passage as any. This is the warning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus speaking, and acts on them, the act of obedience, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, there's the whirlwind, and slammed against the that house and yet it did not fall why for it had been founded on the rock everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house And it fell, and great was its fall. It's pretty simple. If you and I ever hope to be with God in heaven, it will be because when the whirlwind passes, our life has been built on the solid rock of obedience to Jesus Christ through His righteous life alone. And it will be founded on the rock. We have an everlasting foundation. But for the wicked, they don't act upon the Word of God. And they're like a foolish man, just like the foolish man in Proverbs, who built his house on the sand No everlasting foundation. And the whirlwind blew, slammed against it, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. Father, You have given us a clear word tonight. And You have told us in this marvelous chapter 10 of Proverbs that there is a word and way of a man, and that it is for us the opportunity to obey, and we thank You for Your clear instruction. And we ask, Father, that You would give us the privilege of hearkening unto the voice of Your Word. May we read it, and study it, and love it, and be founded upon it, so that we would have an everlasting foundation. Don't let us be characterized as the wicked fool, who when the whirlwind passes, he is no more. Deliver us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.